You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, it's five after. Let's pray and let's get into the Word. Y'all ready for some Word tonight? Yes, sir. Me too. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you and just praise you for your goodness and your mercy and grace in our lives. Father, thank you so much for just, again, the privilege and the opportunity that we have to gather together as a group of believers, Father. We believe, Lord, to approach your word and to be ministered to. We give permission for the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, to bring revelation and insight. Lord, I thank you for leading, guiding us into all truth. And Father, we thank you that our lives will be different because of it. And we just release our faith and believe right now that we're going to be better than when we started this Bible study by the time we end. And I thank you, Father, that we'll be mindful to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, I'm going to uh, get there in just a couple of minutes. Let me just uh, spend a few seconds reviewing, but you know, where this is week number seven, the weeks just go by so quick, but this is week number seven in our series talking about understanding the times and the seasons of the Lord. And really what we're discussing here is understanding and knowing the perfect will of God for your life. And uh, and so we're looking at just, and, and I'm taking my time with this. I'm really um, getting into some things. There, There's a lot of material that I do want to eventually get to that we've talked about before, but um, you know, I'm just laying some groundwork, and I believe this is very, very important. I believe this is a subject that the Lord really specifically led me to talk about at this time. And the scripture that he took me to when we were first starting this was Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. And I'll just paraphrase it. You don't have to uh, turn there. But this is when Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. And, you know, he says, you know how to discern uh, the weather, you know, when it's going to be fair weather, you know, when it's going to be bad weather. And then he he wraps it up in verse three by saying, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And what he was saying is, is that in with all their religious knowledge and insight, and these guys had access to the word of God and, uh, you know, were privileged to all of the knowledge that they, that anyone could have had at that time they could not discern what Jesus ministry was all about, why he was here, what he was about, what he was here to accomplish. And uh, so we don't want to fall into that same boat of not being able to discern the signs of the times. You know, there, uh, I just thought about, there's another scripture where uh, Jesus talks about how the people of Jerusalem missed their time of visitation. And, uh, you know, that's an interesting phrase if you, if you take time to read it and study it. But basically what he was saying is, is that the people, uh, you know, and as you know, they rejected his ministry and rejected him. And what we don't ever want to do as believers is miss the time of our visitation to where God wants to show up 
and do something in our lives and be, and we're distracted, we're too busy, we're off doing other things maybe that aren't as important. And so we miss what he's wanting to do in our lives. And so we're going to, you know, as I said, study this out. Ephesians 5, uh, 15 through 17, Paul said this. He said, look carefully how you walk, live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. And then he, he wraps it up by saying, and we'll talk about these verses some more tonight, but therefore do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. And then, of course, we've talked about Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is a prayer that Paul prayed, which, by the way, I know I have mentioned this before, but Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1 all three contain prayers that I encourage you, dig those out. Ephesians 1, it's 17 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Ephesians 3, it begins in 14, verse 14. Then in uh, Colossians chapter 1, it's verses 9 and 10. And these are prayers that you can pray for yourself. And I have found that as I have prayed these prayers on a daily basis, you know, if they were good enough for the the, the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae, that they're good enough for us. And so, uh, you know, I personally have begun praying uh, these prayers over my life. Well, not begun. I have been doing it for quite a while. And, uh, you know, I've noticed an increase in, in revelation and insight that the Holy Spirit's able to bring into my life. So I encourage you, be praying those prayers over your life as well. Now let's go over to Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. We've touched on this in this series, but let's look at it again. Paul uh, writing, he said this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're not so much focused on uh, the renewing of our minds. We've, we've taught on that a lot, but, but, but the renewing of your mind is required uh, based on this scripture in verse two, for you to be able to discern, to prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, in, in verse 2, the word perfect there should really have been translated complete. And so if there is a complete will of God that we can walk in, then there is an incomplete will of God. And what do I mean by that is um, that, that we get bits and pieces and we kind of go off with, with the little pieces that we have, and sometimes we can get off track, but God wants us to be able to walk in this perfect will of God. And so if there, again, if there is a complete will of God, then there's an incomplete will of God. And if you're not walking in the complete will of God, then you're not going to be able to receive the complete uh, blessing of God, the complete will of God in your life, including everything that God wants you to be able to receive in this life. In other words, if we're living in the partial will of God, then we will only experience a portion 
of God's highest and best for our lives and not all of it. And I know you're like me. I, I want everything that God has for me. I want his highest and best in every area of my life. So, you know, let's just agree right now that we're going to make up our minds that we're not going to walk in the incomplete will of God, the partial will of God. We're going to walk in the complete will of God. But in order to be able to do that, we've got to be able to determine and perceive what that is. Look over uh, with me at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. Colossians 4 and verse 12. Paul said this, and, and I'm going to read it from the New King James, and then I'll read it from the contemporary English version. But the uh, see if this sounds familiar. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now he's praying for these believers that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. Notice he, uh, you know, he didn't, he was praying that these folks would know and understand and be able to determine what the total and complete will of God is. And the contemporary English version says this, that uh, your own Epaphras, who serves Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He always prays hard that you may fully know what the Lord wants you to do and that you may do it completely. And so again, you know, we all need to make up our minds uh, that we're going to fulfill the will of God to the best of our ability and do it completely and not partially. Okay. So Let's establish that. So how do we find out? Let's get start getting really practical in this. How do we find what is the complete will of God for my life? How do I find that out? Well, we've already established, number one, the first and primary way is the Word of God. You need to know that the Word of God, without question, is the will of God. God does not will something else and say something different. Uh, he doesn't will one thing and then say something different or say one thing and will something different. So if it is in the word of God, it is the will of God. And you know, you would be amazed at the number of believers that struggle with that simple truth. If it is the will of God and you can find it in the word of God, then the two are connected. The two are one. You're not gonna be able to separate the two. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people struggle with this because they're ignorant of the Word of God. And so if you're ignorant of what the Word says, then you'll be ignorant of the will of God and you'll be ignorant of the ways of God. Now, I'm going to say this. If you live in America, and of course we all do, we're really without excuse because you can go to Walmart and buy one of these for next to nothing. Versus, you know, some of the believers that are in the underground church, say in China, and, uh, you know, there's a video, I think it's on YouTube, I have seen it, where uh, there were believers in China in an underground church that they got one Bible for the entire church, and they divided it up page by page and gave a page to each one of the believers in that church. And you would have thought somebody had given them a check for a million dollars. They were so grateful and so thankful to have that portion 
of the word of God. And it might have been something that, you know, we read and go, well, you know, what is that all about? But to them, it's the word of God. It's the living word of God. And so my point is this, we should not be ignorant. And what's a shame, and I don't say this in a judgmental or critical way per se, but what's a shame is to be in a country like ours where the gospel flows so freely we have all the resources that we have, and yet there are people who are born-again believers who love God and are grossly ignorant of what the Bible says. And a lot of it happens to be because people don't find out for themselves what the Bible says. They tend to go to church and just listen to what the preacher says. And, uh, you know, and listen, no preacher is perfect. No preacher has a complete revelation of the word. We all have, you know, Paul said, we all see in part, and we know in part, and so none of us are perfect, but thank God we have the perfect one living down on the inside of us called the Holy Ghost, and he will, if you will for yourself, you can find out what the Bible says for yourself, okay? So once you know the will of God, listen to this, don't allow anything to cause you to question it. So if you find out in the word of God that, that Jesus took your infirmities, bore your sicknesses, and by his stripes you are healed, do not let anybody talk you out of that. Don't let anybody say based on their tradition or what happened with mama and them and grandma believed like that and yet she died and all the stories and things that people have. If it is in the word of God, believe it for yourself and do not let any circumstances or people cause you to back away from it. Now I can tell you based on what Jesus said in Mark chapter four, when he talked about the sower, sowing the word, you can rest assured the devil is going to come to try and steal that word out of your heart. But you've got to make up your mind that you believe what the Bible says, you believe it for yourself, and do not let anybody take that from you. Let it resonate, get down in your spirit. Uh, Keith Moore, who's a, a great teacher of the word, he said this, find out what God has already said to you in his word. And, uh, you know, and well, let me preface what the, before I finish that. There's a lot of people that are wanting to hear from God. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want to hear from God, but let me help you put that in some context. There are a lot of people that, um, you know, want to spend a long time in prayer and a lot of time in prayer because they're wanting God to bring some kind of revelation to them. And there's on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but here's what Keith said. And I really like this. Find out what God has already said to you in his word, and then if he wants to speak to you and tell you something else, he will. In other words, if he wants to add to it in your instruction, for instance, you know, if you're trying to pursue after the will of God for your life, find out what the word says is the will of God for your life. And then if God wants to add to it with the specifics, he will. But, but if you don't start out with the written word, he is not going to be able to add to it because you're going to have to have a foundation in the written word of God before he can speak to your heart. Um, otherwise, you'll get off track. So the, the, the written word of God needs to be the foundation uh, in our lives so we can properly discern what we're hearing or perceiving. 
And I'm going to tell you, uh, the Bible says this in the last days, there's going to be a lot of voices out there that are, you know, supposedly declaring what God is saying. And you're going to have to be wise enough in the written word of God that you can discern what is of the Holy Spirit and what is not. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's going to be very, very hard sometimes in, in, in the sense of, you know, there might be just some fine lines there, but the Holy Spirit and the written word of God will help you. Go over with me to John's gospel, please. John, the 10th chapter. John, the 10th chapter, verses 4 and 5. This is a, a familiar portion of Scripture. Jesus is speaking. He's teaching and uh, talking to his disciples. You know, this is the same chapter where, uh, you know, he told the disciples, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. Well, earlier in that chapter, he's he's conveying to them the analogy of a shepherd. And he says this in verse 4, John 10, 4, and when he, the shepherd, brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means, verse 5, follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, you know, if uh, my mother, by the way, it's her birthday today. Everybody wish her a happy birthday. Happy she, birthday, Miss Lou. She's a young lady. So, uh, and I've known her pretty much mostly all my life. And uh, I know her voice pretty well. Okay. So if she calls me or I call her, I don't have to grab my phone and look at the caller ID to figure out who it is. Within fractions of a second of hearing her voice, I know who it is. Now, that where does that come from? Well, that comes from me throughout the years, the many years, uh, you know, of hearing communication from her. I have learned the tenor of her voice. I know what it sounds like. I know the characteristics of her voice. I can tell when she's frustrated. I can tell when she's upset. I can tell when she's happy all of those types of things. And so we can get the same way with Jesus and with the word of God. Now, somebody says, well, how can I do that? Because I don't hear his voice all the time. You know, I don't hear his audible voice all the time. Well, that's true. But, you know, I can, I can just say, and, and I would venture to say, you know, in 40, let's see, Today, this is 2023, so 46 years of being a believer. I know that's hard to believe because I'm only 27. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, being a believer all that time, I can count on one hand the number of times that I've had God, not audibly, but speak to me in my spirit. And, but yet I know what he sounds like. I, I, I know, and of course I'm growing in this. I, I'm not, I haven't arrived. I'm not meaning to say that, but because of spending time in the written word of God, I have learned what makes him, what pleases him, what displeases him. I can tell 
uh, you know, by the, especially by looking at the Gospels, you know, when Jesus was bringing correction, he was bringing insight, different things that, that uh, you know, come out about his personality and so forth and so on. And my point is this, you can gl glean as much of that from the written word of God as you can from hearing the audible voice or the voice of the Holy Spirit in your spirit. Nothing wrong with that. And if he chooses to minister to you in that way, then that's his business. But what I want you to see is, is the more that you spend time in the word of God. And what's interesting is I don't know what Jesus sounds like as far as audibly, but I know what he sounds like based on what the word says. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'm accurately or, or describing that well enough, but you could grow in that too. The way that you can know the voice of the shepherd is to spend time in his word and learn his voice. Not the way it sounds audibly, but the way that it sounds in the what he says. Okay. Now, this is nothing new, but this is another piece to this. And, and it would do you good to write it down. Okay. Put the word first place and final authority in your life. Let me say that again, because it's very, very important. Put the word first place and final authority in your life. What does that mean? Well, when you put the word, the word of God, first place and final authority in your life, when you find something that the word says, we touched on this a minute ago, but that's it. It's established. You know, there used to be a, a bumper sticker out, uh, you know, years ago that used to say something like this. God says it. I believe it. And that settles it. Okay. Well, that's a little off in the sense of, let me just flip a couple things on there. And, and, and this is what it really should say. God says it, that settles it. And therefore I believe it. That's really what our posture should be. So if we find it in the word, just establish, this is what the word of God says. And there is no changing that. There's no backing away from that. So if the word says that you need to do something, then there's no argument with that. There's no discussion. There's no, well, you know, uh, no, it's if you find it in the word of God, then bring it and put it and make it a part of your life. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. You know, there's too many believers that try and fit the word into their lives instead of making their lives fit around the word of God. Okay. And that's what we have to do. You have to make your life fit within the parameters of God's word. Okay. So even in the specifics of our life and the will of God for our life, it can always be traced back to the word of God. In other words, God is never going to tell you something and portray to you uh, that it is the will of God when it contradicts the written word of God. If that ever happens and you, you know, you perceive that the Lord has revealed something to you, but it is contrary to the written word of God, throw it out. Now you're not going if it, somebody says, well, what if I miss God? Well, you're not going to hurt God's feelings because you chose to base it on the written word 
instead of something that you perceived. And listen, he's big enough. The Holy Spirit's big enough that he'll bring it to you. But, you know, there's a, a minister friend of mine that lives down in uh, Houston that she always says this, uh, you know, and she learned this from her mother. Uh, when she somebody says something to her or, you know, she might feel like she's received something, uh, she'll say this chapter and verse, please, and make whoever prove it with the written word of God. And I promise you, you will never, ever offend the Holy Spirit if you say, okay, Lord, give me chapter and verse on that. And uh, time and time again, I can tell you that when I've done that, he's, you know, he's one-upped me. I mean, it's been two or three references that he's given to me, okay? So then last week, we talked about the second thing that you have to do if you're going to determine what the perfect will of God is for your life is you're going to have to ask or inquire of the Lord. Ask or inquire of the Lord. And we took time and we looked at David's life, and the Bible says that uh, in the Old Testament, in Samuel, and then in, in the New Testament, or Chronicles, rather, it says that, that David was a man after God's own heart. And what made David a man after God's own heart, we see in Acts 13, 22, where the Scripture says that, and God actually said this, he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And so if you want to be known to, to the Lord as a person that, that's after his heart, then make up your mind, you will do all of the will of God. And so David lived that way. He inquired of the Lord and purposed in his heart to do everything that God told him to do. Now, was David perfect? No, far from it. However, uh, you know, if he did get off track, the one thing that you can appreciate about him is he did repent come back to God and uh, endeavor to make it right. Now, I'm going to say this to you and write this down, please. The greatest enemy of the will of God is your will. The greatest enemy of the will of God is your will. Now, I, you know, if you've walked with the Lord any time at all and you have received instruction from him, even from the written word of God or the Holy Spirit has ministered something to you, um, there will, not every time, but there will be occasions when there are things that, that are his will for you to do that you're not going to want to do. Okay. You know, even Jesus faced that. I mean, remember what Jesus prayed in the garden? He said, Father, if there is any way that this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, think about it. A man would be crazy to desire and want to go to the cross. But even though he didn't feel like doing it, he still surrendered his will to the will of the Father, and he obeyed it fully. So you and I are going to face some opportunities in our lives where, you know, we're not going to necessarily want to do what God wants us to do, but you're going to have to make up your mind and just establish it that not my will, but his will 
in my life. I want to determine, I, I want to fulfill the will of God in my life. The Old Testament, you know, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, I have a determined purpose to walk in the will of God. And so we have to have that same uh, same decision, if you will. And really, you know, the thing that is part of your will that you've got to submit to the will of God is your choice, your decision. Uh, you know, we as human beings were created. No other uh, part of creation was given this, but you and I have been given a free moral agency that we can make the decision we can choose to say yes or no. So really the greatest enemy of the will of God in our lives is our will, but it's rooted in our choice. We have a choice. Okay. Now let's go to number three and, and this will kind of hook on with this. So number three is this delight to do the will of God delight to do the will of God. Um, a key to determining the perfect will of God for your life is to want to do his will. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, as I've, if, as I've shared with you before, God is a gentleman. He's the perfect gentleman. And, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but he can see what's really going on in your heart. <laughs> he knows the truth. Uh, you know, you remember when Samuel went to anoint David and all of uh, Jesse's other sons were parading in front of him. And, you know, they were, you know, there were some that were tall and handsome and looked like soldiers and, and all of these types of things. And, and Samuel thought to himself, surely one of these guys must be the one God wants me to anoint as king. And you remember what the Lord spoke to Samuel. He said, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so the first key or a key rather to, to putting your hands on the will of God for your life is to have the desire to do it, to make up your mind in your heart, God and, and the best time to do this is before you're ever faced with a tough decision. But make up your mind, Lord, whatever your will is for my life, the answer is yes. And I promise you, you know, I'm not saying it won't be a tough decision, but I promise you that if you'll make the decision when you don't have to, it's a lot easier when you do have to. So, a key to determining the perfect will of God for your life is to want to do his will. Okay. Um, you're there in the gospel of John, back up a few pages to chapter seven and look at verse 17. Let me read it to you from the new King James, John seven, 17. Jesus said something very, very interesting. He starts out in verse 16 and he says, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. In other words, my teachings are not mine, but his who sent me. Verse 17, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God 
or whether I speak on my own authority. So what is it that Jesus is saying? He said, the key to revelation, the key to understanding what I am teaching you or my doctrine is to want to do God's will. Okay, let me read it to you from the Passion. The Passion says this, if you want to test my teachings and discover where I receive them, first be passionate to do God's will, then you will be able to discern if my teachings are from the heart of God or from my own opinions. So what that tells me is, even as a believer, now he was talking to Jews there that were not born again, but even as a born again believer, if you want revelation from God, if you want insight from God, can y'all still hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, my camera just went out for some reason. Anyway, as long as you can hear me, hang in there. Okay. All right. Um, and so the key to being able to get revelation from the Spirit of God is to first be passionate to do God's will. So make up your mind. I am passionate to do God's will. Now, I'm going to say this. You're not always going to feel passionate to do God's will, but your feelings don't matter. You can make that decision in your heart whether you feel like it or not. You know, there are times when I wake up in the morning, I don't necessarily feel saved, but that has no bearing on my salvation or not. I am born again, okay? And so your feelings don't have anything to do with it whatsoever. Let me check um, and see if I can restart the video. There we are. I don't know what caused that, but anyway. So it does good for us. Um, it does no good for us, rather, to pray to receive knowledge of the will of God for our lives if we are not willing to do it. Okay, let me show you an example. Go over with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 18, please. Luke's gospel, the 18th chapter, a familiar story to you, but I'm going to show you something because uh, this is uh, somewhat, I guess, like what a lot of believers are. Luke 18, verse 18. And this is the story of, you might know it as the, rich young man, the rich young ruler, okay, in the, the New King James, Luke 18, 18, it says, now a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if, if you can, make a note or, or circle it or something, the phrase good teacher, because I'm going to explain that in just a moment, and I'm going to explain Jesus' response. Verse 19 so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, and that is God. Now it sounds, you know, if you just read on the surface of that and kind of skim over it real quick, it sounds to me like Jesus was saying he was not good, but God is. And that's not what he was saying. It goes back to and hails back to that greeting that the young man gave to him when he said, uh, you know, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what this young man was saying, he did not recognize fully who Jesus is and was at the time, okay? 
So, um, you know, those of you who are parents, you know, part of uh, parenting and part of, uh, you know, even as an educator and so forth in the school system and working with children, you know, a lot of times you have to redirect children. You know, you have to redirect their attention. You have to redirect their, their frustrations, whatever the case is. And so what Jesus does is he redirects this young man. And so let me read the whole thing. Now, a certain ruler asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit <laughs> eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. Verse 20, you know, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness honor your father and your mother. And he said, yes, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Uh, so I'm getting ready to tell you what the will of God is for your life is what Jesus is telling him. Okay. He said, you've done everything up to this point, but I'm getting ready to tell you what the will of God is. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Now, let me, uh, let me first of all, explain where this guy got off on the wrong foot. Um, this guy started out in his interaction action with Jesus in that he did not receive uh, the Lord Jesus as the son of God and knowing what he was talking about to this young man, he was just another good Sunday school teacher, if you will. All right. And what Jesus was trying to do was redirect him and get him to realize that, that only God is good. And he was, Jesus was not denying that he was God, but he was trying to lead the ruler to confess the fact that Jesus is God. Now, why is that key? Because in what Jesus told him was the will of God for his life, if he truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God and this was God speaking to him, then he would not have gone away grieved and sad because he was rich. Now, what, what am I saying to you? This young man was excited about the will of God until he found out what it actually was for his life. Okay. And a lot of times you and I do the same thing. We get excited about the will of God. Oh yes, Lord, I want to do your will, plan and purpose for my life until we find out what it is. And then we put the brakes on and we say, mm, no, I, I, I don't think I really want to do that. All right. So I have a question for you. Okay. Do you really want to know what the will of God is for your life? Make up your mind now. The answer is yes. Now, why do you think the young man went away sorrowful for he was very rich? He didn't want to part with his money. Well, basically, yeah. When someone is sorrowful, they're grieving. And what this young man was doing was already grieving everything that in his mind he was getting ready to lose if he obeyed what Jesus told him. Now, here's the thing that's going to keep you from walking in the will of God, just like it kept this young man from walking in the will of God, 
It is called fear and mistrust. Fear and mistrust. What if this young man truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God and this was as good as God talking to him when he told him, go and sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. What if he really believed that that was God speaking to him and that was the will of God for his life? life. God would have yeah. shown up for him. God would have blessed him more than he could possibly imagine. And you know, while I'm on this, if the Lord ever asks you to give up something for him, it's because he's got something better that he's better. trying to get to you. And you would be better off saying yes than trying to hold on to the lesser thing that God than than what God is trying to get across to you, man. If this if this young man had could have gotten it in his heart and said, "Okay, I'm going to believe what this what Jesus told me. I'm going to sell everything I have and distribute to the poor." Do you think for one moment that God would require this of this young man so he would end up living on the street, homeless, poor, broke? and without anything. No, see, that is what I'm talking about. That is not the character and the nature of God. And the more that you spend time in here, you'll understand. Okay, God, if you, if you require something of me, the answer is automatically yes, because I know that you have something better for me down the road. You have something better that you're trying to get into my life. Okay, so let's let's look at another example of this. All right. Anybody ever heard of a man named Abraham? Okay. Yeah. Abraham, early on in his life, I mean, when he was 70 something years old, God appeared to him and told him to leave his father's house, move out. He'd take him to a place that he would show him. And then he made a promise to him that he was going to give have a son. And out of that son would come forth a great nation, and uh, Abraham would become the father of a multitude. All right? So everything's great. Abraham, well, I mean, he starts out, yes, Lord, because, I mean, he leaves his family, leaves his father's house, and goes out to a place. He doesn't know where he's going. He just believes God and trusts God that God's going to show him and order his steps and lead him out there. And so then... After Isaac is born, some 25 years later, and he becomes a young man, all of a sudden God taps Abraham on the shoulder and says, hey, Abraham, I need you to go to a place that I will show you, and I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac. Now, you know, I think most of us would have probably had a hard time with that. But if you look at the scriptures and you pay attention to what you're reading, pay attention to the details, Abraham did not hesitate one moment in saying yes to that request from God. Okay, so Abraham, listen to this. Abraham was willing to surrender his dream. This was, you, you know, listen, for a man of Abraham's stature in life to die without offspring was a huge, huge embarrassment. More so to have Sarah, 
who had been barren all of her life, not be able to have children was a huge embarrassment in that culture. So this Isaac represented his dream. It represented his life. Isaac represented his future and Isaac represented his legacy. But Abraham willingly surrendered all of that to the will of God because he trusted the promise of God. What was the promise? That out of this boy is going to come a, a multitude, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And so what Abraham did is he held to that promise. Now, listen, this is, this is where Abraham was. Okay, and, and you can read this in Hebrews chapter 11. You can read this in Romans chapter 4, that Abraham was so convinced about the character of God and his covenant partner relationship with God that he knew that if he took Isaac on top of that mountain and sacrificed him and burnt him like he was required to in the sacrificial process, that if there was nothing left but a pile of ashes, that God would raise Isaac back up out of that pile of ashes because God was not going to let Abraham lose on that deal. All right? And so because of that, he was able to maintain his trust in God. He, and so he was willing, I mean, just quickly to say, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, then let's go for it. And, and so they went and they, you know, of course, you know, the story that because Abraham was willing, the Lord stopped him. Now here's the cool part of that whole story because Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son. Now his covenant partner was obligated to sacrifice his only son, the Lord Jesus. And by the way, tradition, Jewish tradition says that the place where Jesus was crucified was actually Mount Moriah, which was on the outside of Jerusalem. And so it laid all the groundwork. But what's my point? What, what Abraham was willing to do was to trust God and obey God, no matter what it cost him, because here's the bottom line, and this is going to be the key to yours and my trusting God. God would never hurt me. I know that sounds so simple and so elementary, but if we could get that down in our hearts, that God will never ask something of me in order to hurt me. Never. That's not his character. That's not his nature. That's not his desire. And so if God asks me to do something for him, there is a huge blessing on the other side of that obedience. Now, you're never going to get to that until you, you cross the bridge of that obedience. But, but again, it all rests in, in that simple, and this is really, you know, when Jesus talked about having childlike faith, that's really what childlike faith is all about, is a child has so much faith in that parent, that, you know, that caregiver, that adult, in their life that is taking care of them, that they're able to believe what that adult says because they have confidence in the fact in knowing this person will never hurt me. 
And we can do that. We can place that trust and confidence on human beings, but we struggle where God is concerned to place that same level of trust and confidence in him. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it because I know you're not out to hurt me. You're not out to take from me. You're not out to extract from my life. You're doing everything you can to get to my life and to pour out who you are into my life. And man, if I'm telling you, and I'm including myself with this, if we can ever get that down in our hearts, it will set us free in our relationship with God. You know, and I, you know, I say it all the time, God's not mad at us and all of that. We know that, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe God is out for our best interest? And, and I'm challenging all of us in that. All right. Now, let me, in the few minutes that I have remaining, begin number four. Okay. So if you want to know what the perfect will of God, the complete will of God is for your life, then number four is this, pursue the wisdom of God's way. Pursue the wisdom of God's way. Pursue the wisdom of God's way. Now I'm going to make a statement. Um, I think, and you're going to, you know, think I'm trying to be funny, but I'm really not. I'm really serious when I say this. God is much smarter than you and I are. Or I guess the correct English is God is much smarter than you and me. Okay. If, if we can ever establish that, in other words, um, if, if there's a room and you and God are in the room, you're not the smartest one in the room. God is. Okay. So just establish that, establish that in your heart. Now go, go over with me again to Ephesians chapter five. We looked at this scripture a couple of times, but let me show you something. Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 17. And, um, I want to show you what God endeavors to do for you and me. Okay. Ephesians five, verse 15, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says this, seeing then that you walk circumspectly, that's in the, the New King James, that's, uh, in other words, stay alert, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, or another translation says foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I, you know, I love Greek words and Hebrew words. So I looked up, here's what the word unwise means in the Greek language. It means mindless. And this is from, I didn't translate this at all. This is straight from Strong's Concordance. Mindless, stupid, ignorant, egotistic, and rash mindless, stupid, ignorant, egotistical, or rash. So he says, don't be that way. All right. So I'm cool with that. I, I, I get that Lord. And he calls that unwise or foolish, unwise or not having wisdom. Okay. 
So what does, he says, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, first of all, before I give you the definition of the word understand, um, I want you to understand this. If God says that you can understand what the will of the Lord is, then you can understand it. You know, it's too many, too, like I've said, a large portion of the body of Christ just thinks that the will of God is some mysterious, foggy, uh, ethereal thing that's out there somewhere. And you and I can never fully grasp it because God is just so far above and beyond what you and I are. And he is, but he's made some insight available to us. So again, if he's telling us, don't be without wisdom, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Just make up your mind. Okay, I can understand what the will of God is for my life. In other words, it's not this great big old mystery. All right, let me tell you what the word understand means. And I love this. Understanding in this verse means to put together. It means the assembling of individual facts into an organized whole, W-H-O-L-E. To put together, comma, the assembling of individual facts into an organized whole. We have a phrase that we use in our modern vernacular, uh, and you might have heard this. Really what this word understand means is to be able to connect the dots. You remember when we used to do those drawings as kids in school and you had to follow the numbers and by the time you got to all the dots, you had a picture, okay? That's exactly what God wants to do for us in bringing insight into his will for our lives. He wants us to be able to connect the dots. He wants us to be able to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, you might not know every detail from A to Z, but I promise you, you will know enough so that you can obey, so that you can say yes, okay? Now, what when you say yes to the will of God, according to this verse, really what you're saying yes to is the wisdom of God because you cannot separate the will of God from the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is the will of God. Now, I love, you know, this verse again, verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Um, let me say this to you. All right. And I'm just going to be transparent for a moment. You know, I turned 60 this year and, uh, you know, I, of course I believe for long life satisfied according to Psalm 91. Um, but the thing that I have to be realizing is this, that probably half of my life is over as far as here on the earth is concerned. Okay. So let's say, I live to 120. I'm halfway done. Okay. So I don't know about you, but I, I've come to the revelation 
that there's nothing I can do about my past. There's nothing I can do about yesterday. There's nothing I can do about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, etc. But what I can do based on this scripture is redeem that time. Now, what does that mean? It means that the time that I might have wasted outside of the will of God, God will help me to buy that back. I'll be able to redeem that time in my life. How? By walking in the wisdom of God and the will of God, which are the same. In other words, if I will, let me, let me say it to you this way. If I will do it God's way, talking about the rest of my life, it'll make up for what I wasted at the beginning of my life. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. Okay. So, you know, areas or times of my life that maybe I wasn't walking in the perfect will of God for my life. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not proud of that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened, but thank God for his mercy and grace. If I will find out what the, the, the wisdom of God is and how God wants me to live the rest of my life, it will make up for and redeem all of that time that I wasted. Now, that being said, you and I cannot afford to waste the days that are ahead of us. And that's what Paul's saying, because the days are evil. You know, uh, I used to hear this as a kid all the time. Uh, you know, and you got to be mindful. You got to be, uh, you know, very aware that you don't let it become like the Charlie Brown teacher. You know, you remember the Charlie Brown teacher, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, you know, when I was, I used to hear people say Jesus could come tomorrow, 50 years ago. All right. And, and, you know, could he have, yes. I mean, as far as they were concerned, Yes. But I can tell you one thing, be without fear of contradiction, is that we are closer now than we ever have been, all right? And that being said, we do not have time to waste trying to figure out and fumble around and, and halfway walking in the will of God for our lives. You and I have got to determine and walk in the wisdom of God and walk in the will of God and redeem the time because we're running out of time. Okay. And that all being said, uh, I, I'm going to stop right there and we'll pick up here and, and continue on next week. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.